in action. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It is Monday, June 26th. And the word of the day is inaction. This weekend, you may have missed the fact a lot of things were going on in baseball this weekend. Some crazy things. The College World Series was nutty. Close game and then a route. There were routes in Major League Baseball. Bad teams are playing well. Good teams are playing badly. Mets and Yankees are in the news. And on top of that, MLB did its London tour. Not many people knew, but the Cubs and Cardinals were in London. It is very important that MLB spreads its international wings because it feels good. You get to fly a bunch of people overseas. Pray to God they look right so they don't get run over. Make sure you tell the fans that they can keep the foul balls and then start the games. When we did our picks of the day, we told you that likely there'll be a split. There was. And we happened to get the split right. We'll get to it. But Rob Manford was there. And it's not that the London media gives a flying rat's pituitary gland about where the Oakland A's are going to play. Because they don't. But the American media says to their editors and their bosses, we got to be in London. This is B-I-Triple-G. One of the games, they're no fools. One of the games on Fox, one of the games on ESPN. Let's go. Derek Jeter goes there and has his first time in the booth. Not in the booth. He was, where is it, Coca? 4869. Jeter goes to London. He's doing the pre pregame show with Ortiz first time. Funny, funny getting the Red Sox gift. ESPN had people there. Local people, Cubs, Cardinals media. It's hard to get people to travel to a road game in Cincy from Miami. Newspapers don't want to send their beat guys on the road anymore. Feel like it's a waste of money, which it's not. You've got to be at the ballpark. That's where you get information, relationships. So they go to London. Rob's there. And of course, on a Tuesday, if Rob Manford goes to a game, he doesn't have to meet the media. Maybe he's just catching a game. But in London, he certainly is going to. And what do you think the first question is? Rob, tell me, how great is it to be in London? Rob, what do you think of the insanity of the Padres and the Mets being so crappy? Rob, what do you think of Aaron Judge's toe? Hey, Rob. No, it was about Oakland. Hey, Rob, let me ask you a question. Just between us, not a scrum, just you and I. Just you and I. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. What you said about the Oakland A's reverse boycott, what you said about the fans, this is your moment. Don't let Samson have the last word. Don't under any circumstance allow your last quote to be what people remember the Oakland A's bot. Can I interest you in a clarification? And guess what he did? Of course he had to been ready. Shocking. My comment about Oakland was that I feel sorry for the fans, that it was my initial and preference that we find a solution in Oakland. The comment that I made about the fans on a particular night 
was taken out of context of those two larger remarks. Let me continue just for one second before I tell you why you don't leave with that. I feel sorry for the fans. We hate to move, he continued. We did everything we could possibly do to keep the club in Oakland. Stop, please, Commissioner, for the love of PR. Don't say this next sentence. You want to so badly, but don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, Christ, here it comes. And unfortunately, one night doesn't change a decade worth of inaction. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 Rob, you had it. You were this close. Well, not really this close. We're live on Nothing Person with David Sampson YouTube channel. I'm holding my fingers really close together. He wasn't that close. All right, let me break it down and just tell you why I'm pissed. I absolutely understand his need and his PR people's need to somehow get out of the swarmy, smarmy, smarmy? Is it smarmy or swarmy? Smarmy? Squarmy? Slarmy? Comments about the boycott. His tone was bad. We went through it. Go listen to last week. You know you're going to get a chance. When you have the chance, go full Steve Winwood. You take it. And here's what you do. You say, let me be clear. I don't want the Oakland A's to move. We have worked decades for them not to move. I want those fans to have a team. Those fans have seen greatness. They've seen championships. They've seen Hall of Fame players. Those fans deserve a new stadium, and we have been unable to get a new stadium deal done through many owners and many commissioners. The reverse boycott was a great example of fans showing their hurt and their emotion about a situation that they can't control. And I get it. We are never going to turn our back on the fans of the Oakland A's, regardless of what happens. Not irregardless, it's not a word. Regardless of what happens and where the team is and where the new stadium is, we will never, as a sport, forget or turn our backs on the generations of fans in Oakland. Great. Hi, I'm Commissioner Rob Manford, and now I've spoken about the Oakland A's. What do you think? That didn't seem hard, did it? He didn't do it. He couldn't do it. Now what? Now it starts. Here's the thing. In your life, have you ever been in a uh, discussion with someone, and you're about to win, and then instead of shutting up, you keep talking and you talk yourself into a corkscrew and then you start losing again. You snatch defeat from the jaws of victory in an oral argument or in a debate or at work or with your significant other. You're there. One of the great things you learn in law school is to shut the front door. Stay quiet. Like if you're asked by anybody, Excuse me, do you have the time? The answer is yes. That's it. Answer the question. Don't respond with, hey, do you have the time? Yeah, it's 8.08. No, I didn't ask you what time it was. I said, do you have the time? When you have a chance to get away victorious, 
It's a very good lesson. Stop talking. The Yankees are in a position where they talk too much also. All these teams, I cannot describe to you how hard it is for managers to meet the media every day. It is their job. It is a deal with the Baseball Writers Association of America. The clubhouse is open. Players can hide in the training room. Players can hide in the food room. You're not allowed in either place. Players can hide in the shower. Not allowed in the shower. Managers can hide. They are forced to meet the media before and after every game. Way harder than you think. And there's nothing worse for a manager than when the president goes down to the clubhouse and says, hey, sorry about this, but I need you to cover the following topic because I really don't feel like discussing it. And the manager says, really? I'm the one who's announcing this, whether it's a player move or a player injury. Why can't it be the GM? How about you, David? Just get out there and say, yeah, this guy's out. This guy's getting Tommy John. Why me? They got enough to talk about. And if you don't give them all the information, they sound like Patsim. And sometimes we don't give the manager all the information. Aaron Judge hurt his toe falling into a wall or climbing through a wall or making an amazing catch. I think it was Dodger Stadium, maybe. It was a couple weeks ago, a month ago. He's been out ever since. The Yankees have been struggling. We're not going to do a segment right now about the fact that Stanton's hitting below 200. It's too upsetting. We're not going to do a segment that Donaldson and LeMahieu can't hit. We're not going to do a segment that the Yankees don't have enough pitching. We're not going to do a segment that the Yankees, for their payroll, are rivaling the Mets for stinkiness on the offensive side. Nope. We're going to talk about Aaron Judge, who did meet the media and talked about his toe. When you've got a player like Aaron Judge, who not only is your highest paid player, your most important player, but also since he's been out, your team has been on the struggle bus. Therefore, you pretty much know that when you're missing a key cog in your wheel of victories, the media and the fans are going to want to know, when's he back? What's the timetable? What are my expectations? When do I write the article that I demand Hal Starnbrenner to add payroll? Do I wait? When do I get a new outfielder? When do I get new pitching? It's been very unclear when Judge is coming back, other than there were some statements that said, yeah, he's getting close. We're excited. We feel like he's getting close and we know that our guys need to perform better. I mean, they've had Hal Starmetter talk, then they had Brian Cashman talk. Aaron Boone has spoken. Everybody's talking. The theory was that he sprained his toe. And as soon as he's ready, he's back. And he's starting baseball activities, which is the first step. That was always a funny thing that we would tell you. Yes, he started baseball activities. Do you know what a baseball activity is? Hey, picked up a ball. God damn it, that's a baseball activity. Hey, look, he oiled his glove. He changed the size of his jock strap. That's a baseball activity. He threw from 30 feet. We say that when pitchers are recovering from Tommy John. He threw on flat ground from 60 feet. Hip, hip, hooray, like we're going to have a parade. 60 feet. That's the mound. 
not even on the mound. He had a catch, like throwing out first pitches if you're not 50 Cent or Victor Wembayama. No, that's baseball activity. He took air swings. Hell yeah. Used to love those. Oh, he's getting close. I'm getting worked up. I'm getting reminded of all the times I was told by people in my medical staff and in my baseball staff, oh, he's doing baseball activities. He's right around the corner. God, that was a terrible snap. There we go. So Aaron Judge was doing baseball activities. And then he said, listen, I got to knock out this rehab stuff. I've had injuries over the year. And this one's where it takes a while. It's not going to be perfect here in a couple of weeks. We got to manage the pain and we're going to be in a good spot. And then Judge said, and here's where you need to speak to your player. I'm not giving you any timeline. There's no need. I've just got to get better and then I'll be out there. Every injury has a timeline. Give the timeline. Manage the expectations. If you say it's six to eight weeks, you're back in four. That means you're brilliant. If you say it's four to six, you're back in eight. It means you're lazy. What does that mean? We counsel players. Always give the worst case scenario. And then everybody's happy when you're back sooner. And then Aaron Judge dropped the bomb. I don't think too many people in here have torn a ligament in their toe. Wait a minute, tore a ligament? No one said anything about tearing a ligament. What are you talking about? Aaron, you tore a ligament? What the hell's going on here? Are you coming back? My phone started buzzing. ESPN, New York, various other radio stations. Come on right now, CBS, let's go. Aaron Judge is going to be out for the season. He tore a ligament in his toe. Do you know when, uh, and I'm not practicing medicine without a license. I am not. But 18 years of speaking to doctors and trainers about players, one little nugget for you if you don't mind. When you have a hamstring strain, that means there is a tear in your hamstring. An ankle sprain there is a tear in your ankle tendon or ligament or whatever it is. When your toe is sprained, it means that there's a ligament there that is in some fashion or form torn. Now, complete tears, hey, the Achilles came off the bone. It rolled up like a carpet in Aladdin. Bad. An Achilles sprain, slight tear in the Achilles, don't put any weight on it. Eight to 12 weeks. Totally torn off the bone. See you next year. Au revoir. So there are degrees of tears. You tear your hamstring fully, you're going to need surgery. You sprain it, which is a slight tear. You can rehab it or you can rest it and let it regrow. So people ran with this fact of the tear and assumed he was out for the season. Which caused Aaron Boone to have to talk. Aaron Boone did not want to talk about this, but he did. And he said, hey, a sprain's a tear, but the issue is how close he is to returning. Here's the thing that you're doing if you're the Yankees. 
You want people to think he's close to returning internally. Other teams. So we'll have said publicly, hey, this player's out 8 to 12 weeks. But when we're speaking to other teams on the trade market, hey, we expect him back in six, which is code for don't try to take advantage of me at the deadline or with any trade because our guy's coming back sooner than you think. So you got to keep track of what you're saying to who. People say, David, why would everybody be lying? It's so hard to keep track of your lies. It's not that hard when you understand what the agenda is. And with player acquisition, the agenda is for other teams not to take advantage of you. If Aaron Judge is going to be out for a long period of time, when Brian Cashman makes calls, they're not going to go as well. Teams are going to take advantage. One thing pre-show that Coca had mentioned to me that he was speaking to some people about, I don't know if you spoke to your friends about this. I got a few calls on this. When Judge went through that fence, people were upset at the Dodgers. Did the Dodgers do this? Were they trying to hurt Judge? Is their fence... I was going to say demented. That's not the word. What's the word? I'm having a moment. Not libel. Defective. Wow. Thank God it's Friday. So the answer is the Dodgers are cleaning up that fence. But there was nothing wrong with it. Here's how it works. You can't, when you're constructing a fence, the union is a part of it. MLB is a part of it. The architects are a part of it. Your operations, your stadium operations, people are a part of it. You you pad certain areas, but there have to be openings in the fence in order to have access to the field, whether it's for emergencies or grounds crew or pitchers. There has to be access through fences. So there are hinges. There's wire. There's all sorts of things that can hurt a player. That exists on the field in foul territory when you're catching a ball near the line and we teach the players how to slide into the wall. The sort of stand-up slide, one foot forward, how to protect your ankle, but sometimes it just doesn't work. Sometimes you go in too hard with your foot and you can break your ankle. Things happen. It is a freak injury that Aaron Judge suffered and it is not the end of the world. He will be back. The Dodgers don't have to jump through hoops to make Steinbrenner happy or MLB happy. They chose to fix their fence because they don't want any of their players to suffer from that freak accident. And it's the same thing as taking off your shoes at the airport. One guy does a shoe bomb and the rest of us are walking bare feet for 30 damn years. It's ridiculous. All right, Coco. Oh, we got to get, we got to get to the bear. I'm reviewing the bear after the break and I'm going to, and I have to talk about the angels and the Mets. I know you're sick of the Mets Coke and I'm so sorry, but so much happened to them this weekend that we can't let that fly. All right, let's take a break. And then we come back, we're going to review the bear and we're going to talk a few things that are going on with the Mets and around baseball. This podcast is sponsored by ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. 
Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson and Matt Coca on this Monday. We are live at 8 a.m. Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Please download the show. It's available by 9 a.m. Coca makes that happen. Tell your friends about it. Spread the word. We're here every day through sickness and through health. It's like a marriage. Coca. Like married. The bear came out. I tweeted at David P. Sampson. That's my Twitter. I like to have fun on Twitter. I like to hear from you. I'm not able to respond to everyone, but I try. I definitely try. The bear came out on Friday, and I told you I was going to watch it. I watched all 10 episodes of season two of The Bear. I need to figure out how to properly discuss this without spoiling it. So I came up with this. When you have a show that had a successful first season, when it was unexpected, the risk in the second season of increasing the budget for production, the risk that is accompanied by greater expectations is failing to meet those expectations. That is a very real fear of people going into season two of The Bear. How can it be better than season one? How can we get inside the mind of a chef to get inside a kitchen and understand the tension, the anxiety, the real back and forth between people that goes on? How do they match that And what are they going to spend the extra money on given all the awards it won? So the bear got in the writer's room before the writer's strike and they decided to put a season together where they doubled down on season one in a way that I would not have expected. Season two is all about the bear opening a new restaurant instead of the original sandwich meat shop. He wants to open a restaurant and he wants it to be a good one. The entire season is about the process of opening that restaurant. It is filled with flashbacks, with backstories, clearly a higher budget as the set is not just inside a store. Characters travel overseas. That's a sure sign that season one did well. What's hard to do is to stick the landing. The bear stuck it 10 separate times. Each episode is better than the last. When you get to episode six, you will lose your mind. There must be something going on with the number six. My recollection, Coca, is that episode six of season one was incredibly anxiety producing. 
episode six of season two will knock your socks off. I'm not spoiling guest stars. I'm not spoiling plot lines. I'm not spoiling flashbacks. I'm not spoiling backstories. Go watch it. And that's only episode six. There's still four more after that. And by the time you get to episode 10, and I don't know, Matt, is that a series end or is there going to be, there's got to be a season three. I mean, not that they left it, that there has to be, but it's going to be so successful. They're going to want a season three out of it. And maybe it'll be a Ted Lasso with another do three seasons and be done. One of the producers stars in it, who's an actual chef. I don't know how to give it a better review without giving anything away other than to tell you, go watch it right now. Well, not now. Watch this till 8.45. And we got another 20 minutes. Then you're going to want to watch Levitard. But after that, start the bear. Season two, Jeremy Allen White. I don't think he will match his award-winning performance from season one. Season two digs into a lot of the characters. It's not solely focused on him. There will be awards for the bear season two. I'm so close, Coca. I'm 99 and 97 and nothing personal pick of the day. We needed a 3-0 weekend this weekend, and we got it. We had Wade Miley and the Brewers over Shane Bieber and the Guardians on Friday night. That was a great win for us. And then we told you about the split, and we got it. We got the Cubs winning Saturday. They did. We got the Cardinals winning Sunday, and they did. I thought Flaherty was pitching Sunday, and he didn't. It was sort of a bullpen game, and the Cubs had an early lead. The Cardinals came back. And MLB got what it wanted. The players got what they wanted. I told you they like splits and they got it. 3-0, and 99-97. Let me give you a game tonight. The Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles are playing. Are you paying attention to Shohei Otani? How many more times? I mean, we're going to talk about him 100 more times as he gets into free agency. As my wait to sees end up being correct about Otani and what he does and the amount of money he makes. The Angels played in a game this weekend where I believe they won 25 to 1. What was the score, Coca? Some sort of crazy score. They ended up losing the series to the Rockies, of course. It was 25-1. Thank you. Run differential is a weird thing. I'm and I'm a I buy into it over the course of a season. Weekends like this make me smile because the Angels get plus 24 and run differential and then lose the series to the lowly Rockies. The Angels are now moving on to the White Sox. The White Sox are so lucky that the Mets and Padres exist. Otherwise, they would be the bell of the disappointment ball. People are like ignoring the fact that the White Sox are in trouble. Their new manager who took over for La Russa, where I told you that it can't get worse. You got to get rid of Tony. Turns out maybe it wasn't Tony's fault after all, although he sure as heck didn't help. I wonder if Pedro is going to be one and done their new manager. Angels over the White Sox. I don't like picking the Angels, but that's the right game tonight. So these Angels... When they won the game 25 to 1, I started thinking back a couple of years ago 
I was in meetings at baseball and we were talking about the new rules, the new rules that you're seeing today. They started with the intentional walk going away where you just put up four fingers and the guy goes to first. We talked about mound visits, timeouts. Talked about realignment, expansion, relocation, international play. And we also talked about the mercy rule. Forfeiting games. There were people on the committee where I sat who were in favor of mercy rules and forfeit. Hi, my name is David Sampson. And I feel fine. I was one of them. Before you lose your mind, let me explain. My job, and it's a job, I've got to look at the big picture. I've got to look at the health of players. I've got to look at the entirety of the season. Sometimes there are games that are over. Not when you're down 6-1 in the first, give up six runs in the first, even eight runs in the first. No, that's not over. You got to score one run an inning. No problem. Get a crooked number or two, take a few innings off. We'd always say for a starting pitcher who gives up a big first inning, just shut them down now. Start over in the second inning. That's the mentality we would give to pitchers. Your offense will take care of it. Stop the bleeding. There is no scenario when a team scores 21 runs in two innings, you are not winning that game. It doesn't happen. It's not that it's one in a million. It's one in a gazillion trillion. Therefore, if I am the Colorado Rockies, I don't want to waste pitchers. If I'm Major League Baseball, I'm tired of seeing position players pitch. We already have rules about when they can pitch and when they can't. It's not good. I don't like saying no to position players who want to pitch. I don't like when they're out there, when they're actually good position players, because as much of a mockery as it is throwing 50 or 80 or whatever they're throwing, it's just not good. I don't want comebackers. It's like fast pitch softball. I don't want comebackers in the noggin. I just don't want it. The reason why... We were never able to get mercy rules and even get traction is the players union would not even discuss it. They viewed the mercy rule as an affront to their ability to pad their statistics in order for them to get paid. And my response to agents has always been, Hey man, or women or child or person, we've got it all here. We know exactly how many home runs your player hit when we were up or down by seven runs. We know your pitcher's ERA at home against good teams, at road against bad teams. We've got it broken down, and this is not analytics, folks. We have it broken down a million ways to Sunday. When you hit a grand slam home run and get a home run of four RBI against a position player, I'm not paying you for it. You don't deserve a raise because you got bulk in that way. When you are missing 
20 at-bats, I am happy to assume and extrapolate your season in its entirety across those 20 at-bats. I will agree to that right now. I stood up and I said to the room, here's what we'll do to make sure that the union's okay. We will assume that players did what they've done for the games that are mercied or forfeited. How can anyone argue with that? Oh, but David, he could have hit a grand slam home run. Hey, Tony, doesn't count. I find it to be actually something that should be allowed. If as the operator of a team, you believe that it is in the best interest of your team to stop playing that particular day and live to fight another day, that's your right. And if you're a fan of a team that forfeits and you want to burn your memorabilia, you don't want to watch the team anymore, you're too pissed off, you bought tickets to a game, you got a game's worth of activity before the forfeit can happen. What happens when you buy tickets to a tennis match and someone gets hurt and says, you know what, I'm out, I'm retiring, R-E-T, period. Six, four, two, one, second set. See you later. Give me my money back. Nope. It happens. Forfeits and mercy rules are not going to happen every day. So don't give me that. Don't give me the excuse. What? We can't do that for our paid ticket holders. Our sponsors on TV. Everyone's livid. I'm not talking about doing it in the first inning. I'm happy that it, to say it can only be done in the sixth inning or later. No team is going to forfeit when you're down one run, two runs, three runs, four runs, five runs, even six runs. When you've got a third of a game left and you're down six, seven, eight, nine runs, which doesn't happen often, but when you are, that game is not totally over. You could get a 10-run ninth inning, but I want the flexibility to make the decision on my own. The largest ever comeback in history, by the way, according to Coca is 12 runs. Is that largest in the ninth? Or is that largest in any game? No team down more than 12 has ever come back to win a game once since 1926. Did we do it in 2001? Was it us? I would highly doubt the Expos came back from 12 runs in 2001. I do not believe we had either the offense or the pitching to stop the other team from scoring. All of that said, it was the Cleveland Guardians over Seattle in 11 innings. Thank you, Coco. Where are you getting this? Are you on like the live chat? If you're watching the show live, you can join the chat and Coca gives you these nuggets or you give them to Coca and he gives them to me as though they're his. So in conclusion on that issue, can everyone just relax for one quick second? Just because I'm in favor of mercy and forfeit does not mean I'm the devil reincarnated. I'll tell you who's in line to be the devil. Steve Cohn. Stevie, you're my new man. Danny Boy's going to be done like July 20th. The NFL owners are going to meet and get rid of Daniel Snyder once and for all. Prove Josh Harris. We'll talk about that as the summer progresses. That will be a big, big moment when Josh Harris comes in and owns the Commanders 
and then you'll move on to the next thing. Change your name. Get new players. Do something. Show us that you care. Show us that you're a new owner who cares. It's amazing to me that people are upset with Steve Cohn. $360 million he spent. I don't care that he's rich. The Mets are a losing operation financially. We told you why he's able to have payrolls this high, not just because he's willing to write checks, but because there are benefits, tax benefits to writing those checks right now. He's in year three, and the Mets have been absolutely stinky, poopy smelling. What happened to them this weekend was unbelievable. They lost a game yesterday. If you didn't see the highlights, you should check it out. It's the type of game that when you're the president of a team, you watch the game end on two hit-by-pitches, a bunch of walks, a four-run eighth. You lose the game, and you just go to the clubhouse, and you hold your phone right in front of you. It's coming. Here comes the call. It's definitely coming. Mike, Larry, we got to be ready. What do we do? He's calling. Here it is. Hello, Jeffrey. God, that stunk, didn't it? And first you have to acknowledge what happened. And then you have to allow him to be angry. And then you have to say what you're going to do about it when the fact is there's nothing you can do about it. Mets are finding new ways to lose games. Mets have hit rock bottom. The media is saying all these things. So, of course, owners Steve Cohn reads it. I wonder how active he is on Twitter right now. But, of course, Steve Cohn is reading everything. Totally despondent beyond repair. Angry, frustrated trying to put on a brave, fun face. Don't worry, it's going to turn around. They're 15 games back of the Braves. Here's what we're going to do. Steve said, I've got the perfect plan. This one is going to be a winner, I promise. Let's trade Escobar. <laughs> I can't go, good. I'm sorry. <sighs> That's funny. Let's trade a bench guy making $9 million. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay his entire salary, get back some pitchers, double A. We're going to say they provide depth. We love them. I never once traded for a minor league player I didn't love. We love all of them. The majority don't make it, but you still love them when you do it. That's why you do it. Lipstick on a pig, baby. Escobar, $9 million not to play. They found a taker. Do you know how easy it is to find a taker for a player when you pay his salary? Guess what happens every two weeks for the rest of the year? The Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles set up a automatic payment from the New York Mets of Queens. Every two weeks, the Mets send money to the Angels in the exact amount of Escobar's paycheck every two weeks. The Angels took on none of Escobar's contract. And in return, they gave some prospects. But the interesting thing is, for whatever reason, they announced it in the middle of a game. The only reason to announce trades in the middle of a game is if the deadline is in the middle of a game. You can tell your manager not to play the player. We would do that before a game started. Hey, Escobar, we're close. Don't play him. Even if you want to pinch hit him, don't do it. That's normal. That happens. But to announce it in the middle of a game is asinine. And the reason why it makes no sense 
is that then you're stuck in the weird position where the player is aware that he's been traded and he leaves the dugout. And then people are looking around like, hey, what happened? Where's my guy? Lindor's mic'd up on the field and he's asked about the trade. The guy didn't even know it. I like on the Apple TV broadcast that they do this. I really do. Lindor said he's a great teammate. Loved him. I just found out in the dugout. We're going to miss him. Good luck. He helps me. I love him. He's my locker man. I'm so sad. Players do not like when their teammates get traded. All players want their team to get better. The Mets look around their clubhouse and say, hey, these 26 guys are not going to be playing in October. I assume the GM notices that. He can't be that bad, can he? Somebody's got to go. Not going to be me, but someone's got to go. Oh, it's me. That's actually how it works inside these clubhouses and locker rooms. No one ever thinks it's them. Of course, Buck Showalter was left to talk about it after the game. And he says the usual stuff. There's always a reminder of the business of the game now and then. It's a tough conversation. It was the second inning when I had to talk to him. Billy Epler, the GM, apparently alerted Buck Showalter that it may come together during the game. Here's a note, Steve Cohn, for your baseball people. And Billy Epler's experienced, and so is Buck Showalter. You don't have to make it come together during a game. The games are much faster this year. In the old days, sometimes it happened. The games are four and a half hours. People want to go to bed. Guys got to catch flights so they can report to their new team. Games this year, two and a half hours. Just wait. There's got to be an adjustment, doesn't there? So the Mets make this trade. And then at the same time, they let it be known. They get the word out. The New York Mets are willing to take on bad contracts in order to improve their team. Huh? What does that mean? It's a dream come true. The Mets, the Dodgers, it used to be the Dodgers, now it's the Dodgers and the Mets. Remember I told you how angry I was always was with the Dodgers because they used their money as a sword? They would just wave their money in your face. They look at your team and say, hey, you want Dan Heron? No problem. Take Dan Heron. He's getting paid $10 million. We'll give you all $10 million. You can have him for free. He'll be worth exactly what you're paying him, but you can have him for free. In return, we're going to need some Austin Barnes action or some Chris Hatcher action. Of course, I'm talking about a real trade. Hey, I'd like some of your international bonus money that you're not going to use. We'll take it. We're happy to take it. And we'll give you a player. We got a million of them. We sign a million players. We'll, we'll give you one. No problem. You're not using it. We'll use it. You want Josh Beckett? Yes, we do, Boston said. Well, you better take Mike Lowell. At the time, we thought he was overpaid and that his contract was a bad one. So we attached a bad contract to a good contract. You move them both. And a rich team says, we can do it. No problem at all. Of course, Lowell goes on and wins an MVP in the World Series. But ignore that. Forget that. So the Mets are going to start. They are going to try to do their best Dodger imitation. And they're going around to different teams and saying, listen, you're a seller. We're going to buy. They don't deserve to be a buyer. Side note, the Mets do not deserve 
that clubhouse deserves no help. If the Mets were run by anyone who knows what he or she or they are doing, they are selling. Yes, there are good teams that can be smart enough to know that it's just not happening. The Mets are just not happening. They're not like the Pirates who are going to get hot and then get cold and everyone's going to get excited and then they're going to fade. Or the Reds who are the current hot team. Hey, they brought up De La Cruz. Votto's back. They're in first place in a crappy division. They sold out this weekend. Everyone's happy. It's a really long season, folks. Really, really long. So then you may say to yourself, hey, it's long. The Mets have a chance to recover. But that's the whole point. You have to look at the makeup of your team. You have to not be swayed by the great moments or the terrible moments. If you're the Mets, you don't think you stink because you gave up four runs last night to lose. If you're the Mets, you don't think you're great when Alonzo and Lindor go deep and you win a game. You end up being exactly what you are. And this is the time of year when teams are becoming what they are. But the Mets can go out and use their financial might. I wonder which seller is going to do it. Take a look at any bad contract that the Tigers have. Do you think maybe Miguel Cabrera would accept a trade to the Mets? <laughs> no. No, he's only got this year left. I'm talking about contracts where there's three or four years left of a player who is about to be designated. I'm talking like Wei in Chen type of bad contracts. That's who the Mets are willing to do to get someone who will help them. Now, offseason, that's the power of money. On behalf of Huey Lewis, that's all the news today. It's just business. We'll be back tomorrow. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.